You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Let's pray. Father, we thank you at the right time. You sent Jesus as an answer to cries for help, as a fulfillment of your eternal promise that you would fashion a people for yourself, and that Jesus, you came in fulfillment of that promise, to dwell amongst your people, to inaugurate your kingdom. And as you ascended, Lord Jesus, you promised that you would come again. And so as we reflect back on your first advent, your first coming to us, we rejoice. And as we look forward to your second advent, we rejoice. Would you encourage us this morning as we continue in worship through the study of your word, that we would see you as our Prince of Peace, here and now and forevermore. Cause our hearts to stir with gratitude and help us to continue to worship you, Spirit of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Uh, special welcome. Good morning to all our River City folks. Uh, if you're visiting with us, you're a guest or family member, welcome. And uh, if you're with uh, Christ Covenant Church, who's worshiping with us this morning, a special welcome to you. I saw Brock and Katie as they came in. There they are over there. Uh, we're glad uh, to be with you uh, today. Today is the fifth and final Sunday in Advent. Um, Christmas Eve, the day before uh, Christmas Day, obviously, uh, the traditional celebration of the birth of Jesus, the advent, the appearing of God the Son in the flesh who came to be near us to save his people. Christmas is just that. It's the inauguration of the kingdom of God invading creation. So our prayer over these past few weeks, if you haven't been with us, just to kind of, we've been praying for you this entire time whether you're sitting with us just for today or just for this evening or if you've been with us over these last few weeks, our prayer is that we would all receive the fullness of joy that Jesus promised in John 15. We looked at in the first week of Advent. And that we would, as John says in John chapter 1, Jesus came from His fullness. We have all received grace upon grace upon grace. We've looked at some of those graces, the grace that Jesus came as a servant to serve us, to meet our greatest need, the grace that Jesus was born in the flesh so that you and I could be born again by the Spirit, the grace that Jesus reconciles us to God, restoring all that has been broken. And today we're going to look at one more grace, the grace to us of peace. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today, Ephesians chapter 2. And if you need a Bible, some folks are coming around and can hand you one so you can follow along. Some of the scripture will be on the screen as well, but we'd love for you to have a Bible so you can read it with your own eyes. And if you do not have a Bible, please take this 
one that we give you with you today. Uh, it's for you. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, as you're finding your way to Ephesians chapter 2, let me give you a little context on where we're at. Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in the city of Ephesus. And his goal was to help them understand what the redeeming work of Christ actually meant for their lives. That, that Jesus' work of redemption wasn't merely a theological idea. But redemption had real life implications right here and right now. And that the idea that for everyone who has faith in Jesus, everything now changes. I think that's one of the, the main ideas of Paul's writing of Ephesians. Looking at what Christ has done, and if Christ has done this, then everything about life now is different. So with that in mind, we're going to read just a quick portion of Ephesians chapter 2, and then we'll dig into it for a few minutes. We're going to start in verse 11 and read through verse 22. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, as I mentioned when I first opened, the grace of God that, that I want to stack up today on these other graces that we've looked at is what Paul says in verse 14. For he himself is our peace. So Paul's saying right here in our text, Jesus is our peace. Now, when I say the word peace, you might think of words like calm or quiet, especially if you have small children in your life, right? I just want some peace and quiet. Or maybe what comes to mind when I say the word peace are the things in the world and in your life for which you have need of peace, right? We long for peace in the midst of difficulty. 
We'd like some, some time in the midst of our pain to not have pain, right? We long for peace in the midst of conflict. I, I think we'd all like some time in the midst of war to not be at war. Speaking of war, there are conflicts at this moment burning right now in many places all around the globe. In Eastern Europe, between Russia and Ukraine, in the Middle East, between Hamas and Israel, there's civil war in Ethiopia and in Sudan and terrorism and unrest all across Central, Central and Northern Africa. And in every conflict, in every one of them, there's death and loss. And the cries of those caught in the crossfire, the cries of those at the mercy of nations, at the mercy of armies, their cry is a cry for peace. And from the time that sin entered creation, from the time that Adam's son Cain murdered his brother Abel in Genesis chapter 4, all through human history, any kind of peace that we would hold on to between us is likely a short-term short and fragile thing. Uh, just a cursory reading of history tells us this. In fact, Scripture bears witness to this. Creation itself, from the time of our first parents, groans. Groans in restlessness. In fact, even our bodies groan. If you're someone, even in this room, who's dealt with anything chronic, chronic pain or discomfort or difficulty, sometimes you might even feel like your own body is fighting against itself. Right? This is something we, we know. We know. And that's kind of what I want to zero in on today. We long for peace. We do. And the grace that comes to us from the fullness of Jesus is this, that we will only have true and lasting peace in Christ Jesus, who is our peace. In our longing for peace, there is one place where I think we can find true and lasting, not temporary, peace, and that's in Jesus. And Ephesians 2 breaks this down in a couple of ways. Three things. Jesus is our peace, who brings us peace with God, peace with one another, and peace in the midst. And I'm going to break that down for us here this morning. Let me say that again. We have, in Christ, we have peace with God, we have peace with one another, and we have peace in the midst. First, let's look at that first one. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, Paul says, therefore, which again, anytime you see therefore in Scripture, it's referencing what has come before. Therefore, Paul has just said in verses 1 through 10, Paul's talking about the richness of God's mercy as he opens chapter 2. Jesus saving us by his grace that we receive by faith. Nothing we do, but he gives us faith and salvation as a gift. And then we get to verse 11, and Paul says, Therefore, remember. Remember. Now, the church in Ephesus is primarily made up of Gentile believers in Jesus. So Paul says, hey, you Gentiles, remember that before Jesus, you were outsiders. You were separated. He specifically says you were separated in the flesh, meaning you did not have the covenant sign given to Abraham and his descendants. And because you were on the outside, 
The promises that are built into God's covenant with Abraham are not yours. You were outside of those promises. You did not have them. In fact, Paul says you were aliens and strangers and without hope and without God in the world. This is who you were. Remember who you were. Verse 13. But now. Telling you, that little English word but is one of the most beautiful words in the entire New Testament. Paul says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you who were once outsiders, you who were without hope, have been brought near. How? Paul tells you, by the blood of Christ. So so it's the blood that Jesus shed on the cross that brings peace with God. Once outsiders and enemies, now in It's the blood of Christ that purchases our peace. You were once a stranger, but now because of Jesus, you're a son. Paul also writes to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 19. Paul writes this, For in Jesus, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, as Pastor Marty preached last week, through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, here it is, making peace by the blood of his cross, making peace with God. So, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verse 19, so we are no longer aliens, we are no longer strangers, we are now fellow citizens of his kingdom, and he calls us now saints. Love this. So if we are in Christ, we are God's beloved sons, and we have peace with him. And this is not a temporary ceasefire. This is not a hostage negotiation. This is not a treaty signed by one government official who in some other administration down the road might say, we're not going to honor that anymore. That's not the kind of peace we're talking about here. This is a peace that puts to an end the conflict, the war between a sinful and a rebellious people and a holy and perfect God. And what's beautiful is that he doesn't end the war and just leave us buried in the rubble of our destructed lives either. He doesn't leave us as destitute orphans say, okay, cease fire, good luck. God doesn't do that. He gives us a home Scripture says he actually clothes us in royal robes. He invites us to his table, and he himself serves us the feast. He gives us peace with God. So let me ask you this. You might not actually feel sometimes at peace with God. If you find your heart maybe a little restless or a little disquieted as it relates to your relationship with God? Is it possible that you feel that maybe you and God have a truce or a ceasefire, but you're not sure how long it will last? Can I just encourage you that there's only one remedy to that anxiety? And that is a full-throated, hands-up surrender. It's a raising the white flag, it's a laying down of your arms, and it's a full on surrender to Christ. Stop fighting his rule in your life. (laughs) Receive his gift of grace through faith and be reconciled to God. 
And the promise from the scriptures is that the peace of Christ will now rule in your heart and you are right with God. That's the first thing Paul references here in Ephesians 2 is that by Jesus' blood on the cross, he makes it so that we have peace with God. Here's the second peace that is ours in Christ. Look at verse 14. For Jesus himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is Paul talking about here? Paul is writing as a Jew, an ethnic Jew who has come to faith in Jesus. And if you know anything about the history here, there's hostility between Jew and Gentile on both sides. And Paul is saying, in Christ Jesus now, the the wall that was between us, the dividing wall, comes down. Here's what Jesus is up to. Verse 15, Jesus is creating in himself one new man in place of the two. Paul says, so making peace. And in verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So that that peace with God that we have doesn't come individually. It comes through Christ. I don't get to God through my work. You don't get to God through your work. We get to God through Jesus' work, through His body, His death on the cross. And so if I don't get there on my own, and you don't get there on your own, then the only way to God is through His Son, Jesus. And if that's true, then what reason do we have to be at odds with one another over who is more righteous? We, we don't, because none of us is righteous. We all get to Him through Jesus. So, so I have nothing left to boast in. Where's my pride, right? It's only in Jesus. He makes two who were once at odds one. Now, as an aside, I believe this idea, this gospel reality, is at the heart of every racial, cultural, and ethnic conflict in human history. And I think history has proven that attempts at peace between people on the basis of legal requirements or who wins the civil war ultimately doesn't produce the kind of peace that lasts. It just doesn't. It doesn't produce the kind of peace that brings healing. Even if the laws are just, even if the war is a just war, it's a fight for righteousness. If the heart is not transformed, peace doesn't last. We see this. Now, there's more we can talk about there. We don't have time to to dive into it in, in depth. But I want us to just consider that. Only just let me say this. I think we can and should pray for peace and the ease of suffering always. We should pray for reconciliation between us as human beings, because if Jesus can make peace in himself between Jew and Gentile, surely he can make peace between any two of us. And if our desire is that true peace would last, then I think we should also be praying and working for the rule and reign of Christ Jesus in the heart of every man, woman, and child on the earth. 
And we should make it our aim to be messengers of that peace that comes from the proclamation of the gospel, that people might be changed, and if changed and made into one new man or woman in Christ Jesus, might actually find lasting peace. All right, back to our text here. Paul says here, you Jew and you Gentile, you're now one man in Christ Jesus, and this new man is reconciled to God. Verse 17, you who were far off from the promises, you Gentiles, right? And you who were near to the promises, you Hebrews, it is through him that we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So if, if God is our Father through Christ, then we are citizens and saints in the kingdom of God and members together of one household. And if we are brothers and sisters, then we relate differently to each other than we did as strangers. It's implied here. So when I talk about peace with one another, I'm not only talking about large-scale cultural conflicts. When I say peace with one another, for some of us in the room, immediately what comes to mind is actually right now an interpersonal relationship that is not at peace, that is not reconciled. There's actually conflict, difficulty. Now, I also don't want to go too deep into this rabbit hole, but, but there's something here for us, I think, as well, personally. It means this, that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to a very intentional kind of peace. Paul says we are to strive to live peaceably with all people and to the very best of our ability. Romans chapter 12, Paul says that. With everyone, we should strive to live peaceably with all. And for those in the family, we are called to something even more. Just one page over from Ephesians 2. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and here's the kicker, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are called to Christ. And if we are called to Christ, then the calling is to be eager to maintain unity amongst brothers and sisters. Not reluctant to maintain unity, right? I have to love you because we're family. Sometimes we feel that way with our real family, right? I have to love you because we're family. Not that. That's not what Paul says. He also doesn't say eager to maintain division, right? Like some of you, I enjoy a good fight, right? But that's not what Paul says either. Eager to maintain unity of the Spirit. Why? Because we are all given one Spirit. Maintain unity in the bond of peace. What kind of peace? Well, the kind of peace that Jesus purchased on the cross with his own blood. So it begs the uncomfortable question that I think we need to ask, where is there disunity in my circle of the body? What relationships, relationships excuse me, need reconciliation, and what is my part in pursuing that reconciliation? Maybe that's an uncomfortable question, but 
I'm going to ask it anyway. And maybe even for us, step one is just a simple prayer. God, I am not eager. Spirit, would you make me eager? I have to pray this. It's hard, I think, but Jesus demonstrates that it is worth it. Jesus demonstrates it's worth it in his own death. As our passage comes to a close, we read, not only do we have peace with God and one another, but also that by the power of the Holy Spirit with Jesus as the cornerstone, Paul says, we are being built up into a temple where the Lord himself might dwell amongst his people. Jesus, who is our peace, brings us peace with God and peace with one another. And third, Jesus brings us peace in the midst. Now, what do I mean when I say peace in the midst? You could kind of put a big blank behind that. Peace in the midst of blank. What I mean is this, that this kind of peace is not circumstance dependent. It's not circumstance dependent. This past week, uh, early uh, this past week, one evening, I, I felt like I had something in my eye. I get eyelashes in my eyes. So I, in fact, I have a weird eyelash in my right eye that is growing like down. And so it like pokes me in the eye every like month and like literally I have to pluck it out. It's terrible. It's small and insignificant, but it's, I hate it. This last week, my other eye could have sworn I had something like jamming me in the eye, couldn't tell. Was, I, Amy gets a headlamp, and I'm trying to like peel my eyelid back to see like what is it, and she's like, I can't see anything. It was so frustrating. For like three hours, I was angry because I had something in my eye, but I couldn't find it. And for, for too long, it literally made me angry couldn't figure out what it was. Eventually, I just went to sleep. I was like, well, fine. I'm just going to go to sleep. I like flooded it with red eye drops or whatever. And I woke up the next day and it was fine. But that morning that I woke up, not only was my eye okay, I had to repent before the Lord. How, how, something so small and insignificant, so deeply disquieted my heart. Does the Lord hold the universe together by the word of his power? And does he also not hold my tiny eyeball? Of course he does. But in the moment, was I okay with that? No, I was not. And I know it seems trivial. But for whatever reason, God in his kindness convicted me that next morning. It's, it's tiny, both physically and metaphorically. But in a very real way, I had lost sight of the peace of Christ. Now, that is pretty trivial, but maybe all the more concerning for my heart. I don't know, but you and I experience all sorts of things that cause pain, cause concern, and I'm not saying we should just blow them off. I'm not saying those things aren't a big deal, try to cover them up with a, I'm fine and it's nothing. I'm not, I'm not saying that. We shouldn't do that. It's not what I'm saying. You should go to your scheduled doctor's visits, ladies and gentlemen. Right? We can thank the Lord for, for the common grace of pediatricians who, who know our kids. We can thank the Lord for the common grace of mammograms and colonoscopies as we get older. God works through those means, but you never thought you'd hear that in a sermon. We can thank the Lord for, the, for that common grace, right? 
But what I am saying is that our view of the peace of Christ is often too small and far too circumstantial. As if it's only somehow working outward in, and if our circumstances don't change, then it's not real. Our view of peace sometimes is limited to only a view that removes the pain or the noise or the difficulty. But it's not the kind of peace that Jesus brings us necessarily. Because Paul says that he actually comes to dwell in us. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says this. As he's ready to be arrested and crucified, Jesus tells his disciples this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Here's the the contrast I want to draw this morning as we come to a close. The, The world's idea of peace is to remove the obstacle, but the peace of Christ rules in the midst of them. How do I know? Because in John 13, they're in the upper room for the Passover. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. John 14, here, he says, I give you my peace and teaches them. And all the way through John 17, where he prays with them and for them. And then Jesus is arrested and killed and his disciples are scattered in fear. The the whole world around them collapses in front of them. And Jesus has just said, don't be afraid. How is that possible? See, the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians for peace is the same word that Jesus uses here in John 14. The Hebrew word for peace that would correspond to this is the word shalom. It's used broadly in Hebrew, sometimes as a greeting, and in this case, the connotation around that word, when it's speaking of peace, is a peace that is not necessarily absent of of conflict, but a peace, a wholeness, a fullness in the midst of it. And I know that, that many of you have experienced this kind of inexpressible, inexplainable peace in the midst of hardship. I know you have. In the midst of something absolutely devastating and maybe through tears, somehow you're able to say God is good. You've experienced this. You've experienced a peace that doesn't make sense on its own. What Paul says in Philippians 4, you've tasted and experienced a peace that goes beyond your ability to understand. And your heart and mind was guarded from despair in that moment as you had an abiding hope in Christ Jesus. I remember a number of years ago, I vividly remember this, sitting with my wife, Amy, on our bed just a few weeks after we had suffered a miscarriage. At about 16 weeks. And through tears, my wife says two very profound things. One, she asks a question. She, asks, she says, how does anyone endure this without Jesus? Which is remarkably true. And then two, she says this, oh, and I'm sure that God is still good. This is a peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. This is a shalom in the midst. And I know this is a particular grief, the one that I've just shared, that many here in our own church family have experienced, some fairly recently. And I know it is one of a thousand griefs. So what I want for you and for us 
is that as we kind of pull this stone from the river that God has brought us through and stack it up on the shore as a reminder of God's goodness to keep us from despair. Not necessarily by removing the pain, not always by changing the circumstances, but by holding us, by showing us His goodness in the midst of the storm. Because the blood of Christ has made it possible to come near to God. We come with boldness and confidence. We pray in faith for God's hand of healing and His hand of blessing and His hand of intervention and His hand of provision. Yes and amen. We pray for that. And God might choose to heal in miraculous ways. Or He might choose to heal through doctors and medicine. Or He might choose to heal us in glory. God may grant our desire to be married, or grant our desire for biological children, or he might open the door for the beautiful gospel picture of adoption, or he might satisfy us with himself in the beautiful and broad family of God. God may rescue us from death, or our bodies might be destroyed. And none of this unsettles the rule and reign of Jesus over all things and in our hearts. That's Shalom. That's peace. See, when we gather this Christmas Eve, if you're able to join us this evening for a time of worship and reflection, we're going to look at the beautiful passage from Luke chapter 2. The sky lights up with the glory of heaven on some shepherds who are just chilling in a field, minding their own business. And heaven opens, and an angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The good news that is given so that the joy of creation would increase. And that news to them was that on that night, a Savior was born. God's Messiah had come to them. And then suddenly, Luke says, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying this, Glory to God in the highest. What does it say? And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus is the fulfillment, as Josh read earlier, the fulfillment of the prophecy from Micah chapter 5, our Old Testament scripture reading. In Bethlehem, in a small and insignificant town, too small to be of note, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel, and whose coming is from old. Verse 4, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. I don't know if you picked up on the significance of those last two sentences there. There is a promise built into Micah chapter 5 of security and peace. But if you've noted in any of your Bible reading that Jesus' disciples from his time on earth until today have been persecuted, (laughs) they've been killed for their faith in Jesus, following Jesus does not make us immune from cancer or heart conditions or miscarriages or heartbreak. In fact, you could argue that being a disciple of Jesus is often marked more by suffering than what we would call security. 
So where is this promise of security and peace? How is this a grace for us? Here's just one thing for us to consider as we look at Jesus born this Christmas and for us as we come to the communion table in just a minute. The security that Jesus promises, the peace that Jesus promises, it must be the kind that is working in and through and beyond our circumstances. In fact, we we know it is. Because Paul himself says that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. No matter what they are, they're preparing for us an eternal weight of incomprehensible glory. And John reminds us in Revelation 21 that on that day when Jesus returns at His second advent, we will finally see the full fulfillment of this promise when He wipes away every tear from every eye. And pain will be no more, and grief will be no more, and death will be no more. And nothing here can take away that promise. Therefore, when we consider Jesus, who came to us as a child, we're reminded that He's not just bringing us temporary joy, temporary peace. He is fulfilling the promise of eternal security, of eternal and everlasting peace and everlasting joy. And it starts here and now. He secured it for us in His own body. He shed His own blood. And this is a gift of the Holy Spirit that you and I can can take hold of, this, this eternal peace of Jesus' rule and reign now as our source of strength and hope, even in our deepest pain. Our Prince of Peace came so that you and I can have true and lasting peace in Christ Jesus, who is our peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Christ Jesus to come to wage war against our enemies and to rescue us from death. That you've made us new through your own body and blood and that you've made us one through your own body and blood. And as you fashion us into one, you promise that you will dwell with us. And you in us, in the midst of our circumstances, we dwell secure. We thank you for the hope of this promise. Would you give us fresh eyes to see as we come to the communion table what you endured in your body and in spilling your blood so that we might be reconciled to you and reconciled to one another, that we have been purchased by your blood shed on the cross. Holy Spirit, would you renew the gospel in our minds and hearts? And would you loose our mouths to praise you? Father, I pray you would be our comfort and our peace. That even as some of us grieve, that you would keep us from despair, that you would be 
our peace, that we would find that we in you dwell secure. To receive our worship of confession, our worship of gratitude. We adore you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.